Well, hello. You are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. This episode brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family and by Folklore Brewing, the best beer from Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingandMeadry.com. This episode comes to you tonight from Charleston, South Carolina, the holy city, the second most historic city in the world. We've been taking our show all year around the southeast and the U.S. and recording it before live audiences. With special guest tonight, Chosen Road, playing bluegrass music for you. And then later, I tell a story about a little girl in the hospital who has a favorite hymn that she sings. And then later still, I tell a story about my cousin and I and the ecumenical choir that we were a part of every single year. Let's have a listen. Well, you are listening to Sean of the South. We are coming to you live from downtown Charleston, South Carolina. This episode brought to you by Case Knives, tradition in my family, and by Folklore Brewing, the best beer in Alabama, with our special guest tonight, Chosen Road, everybody. Somebody, I'm your guy. Just hurry and come over, Mama. Made apple turnovers together on the Saturday night. and I arrived in Charleston on one chilly December afternoon to celebrate our honeymoon many, many years ago. It's been about 20 years now. The city was decorated for Christmas and there was garland hanging from each balcony, lamppost, stray dog and politician. (laughs) I'll never forget it. We rolled into town and my truck radio was playing Kenny Loggins' Danny's song. Beautiful song that would come to kind of represent the basis for our marriage because we never really did have much money. It's a good song that nobody in this world could ever listen to without at least humming along. Even hardened war criminals must hum along with this song. (laughs) Charleston is an immaculate place and it was charming, especially to two small folk newlyweds. This city was a little bit intimidating to be honest. And this is especially true if the most cultured city you have ever visited, like me, was Dothan, Alabama. (laughs) People kept telling us that Charleston is the most historic city in the world, second most historic city in the world. You hear this wherever you go, but make sure that you know whenever you come to Charleston. This is the second most historic city in the world, second only to Rome. You even hear this when you go into the Waffle House, where your waitress, a very tired and worn out older woman who does not look happy to be there and has the personality of a boiled ham, will come to your table as she places the napkin before you. She says, did you know that we are the most, second most historic city in the world? And you look at her and you say, no, I, I didn't know that. And she'll say, well, you will, honey, as soon as you figure out how much things cost here. <laughs> so you can imagine how exhilarating it was to learn all the history that has happened in this city, and I have learned a lot. 
especially from that first time when we were walking down those cobblestone streets as two newlyweds. We were constantly pointing at things and shouting with gleeful voices saying, hey, George Washington slept in that building. Or, hey, Thomas Jefferson visited that place. Or, hey, the brochure says Garth Brooks slept right here with his Shih Tzu. <laughs> the city has a very uppity feel, and that's something out-of-towners don't always expect. Charleston is a very, very affluent city. Average residents of this city dress to the nines, even when they go out to check their mailbox. Wherever we were, it seemed like everybody was wearing pearls, chenille, and high heels. And that was just the men. <laughs> Downtown, we saw the Gula women weaving their sweetgrass baskets. And most of these women were sitting beside lard propane heaters, working their fingers raw. And those baskets, oh, they were incredible. But they were about the same cost as a Land Rover. Even the no-frills baskets were upwards of $770,000. The Gullah women also made beautiful sweetgrass palmetto rose bouquets by twisting sweetgrass to resemble rose blossoms. My wife wanted one of these, but these were way too pricey too, so I bought her what I could afford, which was a Christmas ornament to the tune of 39 bucks. It was a sweetgrass basket in miniature about the size of Malibu Barbie's sun hat. but I still hold fond memories of this town, I really do. We did everything a newlywed couple could do that didn't require spending a lot of money. Like visiting Waterfront Park to see the famous pineapple fountain and diving into the fountain to confiscate handfuls of wet pennies so that we could pay for dinner. <laughs> we visited Fall Leak Beach County Park and Brittle Bank Park and the Palmetto Islands Park and Charlestown Landing but mostly, we would just sit on benches and people watch, which is something you can do here. So my wife loves to people watch. She likes to create make-believe stories about people that walk by. My wife will whisper to me, you see that couple right there? And I'll say, yeah, what about them? She'll say, I think they're having a scandalous affair. See, I think he works for the government. He's an international spy. And he can't tell her what he does for a living or, or how many people he's killed in the line of duty. And I would simply smile at my wife and I'd say, quick, honey, hide these pennies. I think the police spotted us diving through the fountain. And so we would carry on like this for a long time here in Charleston, her making up stories and me stealing money from municipal property. Until it was finally time for supper, at which point we would get very creative because this is where newlyweds have to play the the budget game. You have to learn how to stretch your last few bucks. And we did. We found a fancy restaurant that served complimentary yeast rolls before dinner. And I pretended to scan the menu while filling my face with yeast roll after yeast roll after yeast roll and asking for more complimentary butter. The menu was way above my head. The culinary scene here is, is incredible. There were entrees with names I couldn't pronounce like hambone beret and cumbaret transmission fluide and croquet monsieur de possum feet which is really just possum feet <laughs> our waiter got really tired of us by the end of the night he had brought so many baskets of complimentary bread to our table that he pulled a hamstring <laughs> we didn't mind being on a shoestring budget to tell you the truth we were happy newlyweds and i just don't mean moderately happy i mean we were really happy really happy this city represents a lot of happiness for me that week, we were the happiest idiots on this side of the Atlantic. After dinner, we walked arm in arm along Broad Street to see the storefronts lit up for Christmas. We wandered the cobblestones of Chalmers Street until our feet ached and our backs were sore. We visited St. Philip's Episcopal Church, established in 1681, a church that even from its early days believed wholeheartedly that no matter what predicament this turbulent world is in, Episcopals have the right to drink hard liquor at their Christmas parties. We walked King Street, East Bay Street, Ligare Street, and it was all just so magnificent. So magnificent. On our way back home, we passed a man on the corner. He was tall 
and ragged and he smelled like a distillery and they asked if we had any money well we didn't have any money and I was fully prepared to walk away but and I will never forget this my wife dug into her pocketbook and she gave him all her cash everything she had and this man was overcome and he reached in his pocket and he gave her this tiny sweet grass rose and it was there on the streets of Charleston that I knew I didn't deserve this woman I didn't deserve the love that I had found love is a funny thing and I don't know enough about it to try to explain it I'm not a smart man I'm not well off but I know that when I'm with her every tree every cloud every planet every star the moon the solar system it all belongs to us because that's what love is and love can be found in the great city of Charleston, South Carolina. Now, if you would, please welcome to the stage these stately young men, Chosen Road, everybody.
was passing by room 202 in the pediatric oncology wing and it was late. The hospital was decorated with Christmas with care. Tinsel on the walls, construction paper chain link garland everywhere. Pictures drawn by sick kids, stick figure Santas, and anatomically incorrect reindeer. There was the gentle thrum of compressors and mechanical medical beeping. And outside room 202, crowd was gathered around the closed door. There were maybe a few dozen doctors, nurses, techs, and medical staffers congregated outside, listening in silence. One approaching nurse said, what, what's going on out here? One of the doctors pointed to the door and he said, shh, listen. It was singing. 
singing. The muffled sounds of a child singing was coming from room 202. It was a girl's voice, and the song was Jesus Loves Me. The medical staffers were all smiling at each other. Some were sniffing their noses. Others were dabbing their eyes. What's she singing for? Asked the nurse. She sings herself to sleep every night, whispered a doctor. And we all come to listen. The kid knew all the verses to the classic hymn. There are multiple verses that Jesus loves me. But everyone usually just sings the first one, but there's a lot of them. The song was originally written in the 1800s as part of a novel. And the song was borrowed from the poem that was in that novel. The poem was originally sung to a dying child. Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come unto me. Jesus loves me, loves me still, Though I'm very weak and ill, from his shining throne on high, comes to watch me where I lie. And there was something so paralyzingly beautiful about this child's song, something so hopeful, and yet something haunting. One of the nurses in the group listening was a total wreck. And the others were consoling this woman because her face was pink and swollen and her nostrils were clogged. This nurse said that the little girl had just received bad news today. This Christmas season was not going to be a good one for the child. The nurse said her treatments aren't working. And the scans came back worse than before. The doctor says she's probably not gonna make it. The kid was dying. Earlier that afternoon, the little girl's mother actually sat the child down with the doctor and explained all this to her. The mother told her child, her, her baby girl, that the end was nigh. Whereupon, the little girl surprised her mother by nodding and smiling and patting her mother's knee and saying, it'll be okay, Mom. Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. If I love him when I die, he will take me home on high. Well, it sounds like a scene straight out of a saccharine Hallmark movie, but the following actually took place in a humble children's hospital. By the time the little girl got to the last refrain, one of the nurses started singing along, and then a few others joined in. Then. The door to room 202 swung open, and a gaggle of medical professionals who were singing the lyrics to a children's hymn that predates the Civil War accompanied the little girl in this ethereal melody. Someone was even singing harmony. There were no more tears in this room. Everyone was smiling. It was Christmas. And when they finished, the girl smiled at all her singers and she said let's sing it one more time and so of course everyone did and just in case you were wondering that little girl is a 29 year old woman today and very healthy Loves me still, 
Though I'm weak and very From his shining throne on high Comes to watch me where I lie Yes, Jesus loves me loves me yes Jesus loves me the Bible tells me so Jesus loves me he will stay close beside me all the way then his little child will take up to him for his dear sake yes Jesus loves me oh yes he loves me Now let's have another tune here from Chosen Road, everybody. Chosen Road.
Well, this portion of our show is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife because according to my grandmother, there is no sin more grievous than having idle hands. She would take any child with idle hands and send him or her out to the yard to gather firewood or do some sort of busy work and she herself never had idle hands, especially when a child misbehaved when her idle hands connected with your idle butt. <laughs> this portion of our show also brought to you by Tennessee Peanuts. Tennessee Peanuts. Are you feeling tired, anxious, or unhappy? You have frequent bouts of forlorn complacency and existential angst that leaves you exhausted, drained, grumpy, depleted, and downright despondent. Try Tennessee Peanut Company's down-home peanuts. Ten out of twelve doctors recommend Tennessee Peanuts to aid digestion, increase circulation, and improve well-being overall. Tennessee Peanut Company brings you an array of roasted peanut flavors to suit all your body's essential peanut needs as identified by the American Medical Association. You can burn your tongue on some Nashville's sweet and spicy peanuts or satisfy your sinful needs with doubly dipped chocolate peanuts. Enjoy flavors like Cajun Bayou Bites, Honey Roasted Chipotle, Traditional Salty, Sea Salt, or Cracked Pepper. And when you have room in your belly, try some sweet, sweet classic peanut brittle. You can trust me on this. Your pancreas will thank you. Tennessee Peanut Company, for all your peanut needs, open 24 hours of the morning, day, or night, in time of day. Visit the Tennessee Peanut Company at TennesseePeanut.com. And now let's have another tune here from Chosen Road, everybody. Chosen Road.
Well, every year at Christmas when I was a kid, we would always have this thing called the ecumenical choir. The ecumenical choir was a gathering of several children's choirs in the county who would all get together and they would learn how to sing Christmas tunes together and then they would have a final concert at the end of the practice season, which would usually fall around the middle of December, and they would all meet at a large church, an Episcopal church, a large ornate church, and they would sing together. Children from all faiths, all denominations, all walks of life, all socioeconomic classes. There were rich kids, there were poor kids, there were Baptists, there were Presbyterians, there were Methodists, Episcopalians, there were uh, people from those churches way out in the sticks like the free will Baptists who have no free will at all. <laughs> now me and my cousin Eddie were always a part of this every single year from the time we were really, really little. And of course the main reason that we were always signed up to be part of the ecumenical choir was because our mothers were tired of looking at our faces. We were two chubby boys. I had red hair, he had reddish hair. We were chubby boys who, my mother used to say that Ed Lee was a bad inference on me. <laughs> and I asked Ed Lee at one time, I said, what is that? What's a bad inference? He looked at me, he said, you don't know what a bad inference is? I said, no. He said, don't you never watch football? He says, sometimes when the referee gets down on the field and he waves his hands up and down, he says, pass inference. <laughs> so what, what your mom is saying is that I'm like your teammate and that you follow me and you'll never get into trouble. <laughs> Ed Lee was a wild child. He was the kind of kid who we called fun. All the other kids wanted to hang out with him because he could find a way to take any innocent situation and turn it into something that would land you at least 30 to life. <laughs> One year, as we were signing up to do the ecumenical choir, my cousin Ellie got particularly excited because Judy Sparks was gonna be in the choir this year. Judy Sparks was a Presbyterian. We all went to school together, and he had been obsessed with her ever since Judy Sparks had once looked at him and said in the lunch cafeteria line, you have nice hair. At the time, Cousin Ed Lee was reaching forward to grab his lunch tray, which had just been filled with mashed potatoes from the lunch ladies. And the lunch lady looked at him with her cat eye glasses and said, what do you say to the young woman? And Cousin Ed Lee was struck dumb. He could not find words to say to Judy Sparks. But as it happened, it didn't matter. Judy Sparks already walked on into the cafeteria and sat with her, her little friends. And Cousin Ed Lee walked like a zombie into that cafeteria holding his cafe tray. And he sat down next to me and said, what has gotten into you? He said, I have nice hair. I said, of course you got nice hair. You got hair just like me. He said, Judy Sparks just said, I have nice hair. After that, Cousin Ed Lee became ceremonially obsessed with his hair. And so practices began. And every single week, the practices for the ecumenical choir would always be at a different church so that every child could have a, take a turn at doing the home field advantage. We would meet at all sorts of different churches, and I liked this because you got a chance to see how other people did things. It was, a, it was like a, it was a really good education to go inside enemy territory <laughs> and see how the Methodists operate, for, exa for example. The Methodists are a very different people group than the Deepwater Baptists I come from. The church I went to, we were called Foot Washing Baptists. Now, Foot Washing Baptists are unique in the Baptist tradition, we have a practice wherein every Wednesday night we hold a service called foot washing service. This is the, uh, the time when little old ladies and little old men who have not washed their feet in one entire week, 
walk down the aisle where the youth group is kneeling at the altar in front of enamel bowls of tepid water with towels slung over our shoulders and we offer to wash their feet. And when these old men take off their shoes, you realize immediately why the doctors have invented antifungal medication. <laughs> there is some stuff that you will see at a foot washing service as a foot washer that will curl the hair on the back of your legs. <laughs> it is totally different than the Presbyterians. Presbyterians, my daddy used to say, are really just Baptists who want to drink but can't afford to be Episcopalian. <laughs> but the Methodists, they really are something. The Methodists, see, they were put on earth to save a man. They were put on earth to pull you out of the gutter. That is the job God gave them when he was splitting up the denominations. He told the Methodists, that you have to save a man, pull him out of the gutter. And so the Methodists are good at that. They will get you out of the gutter. And then they will pass you on to the Presbyterians. And the Presbyterians will teach you how to read. At which point the Presbyterians will pass you on to the Episcopalians. And the Episcopalians will introduce you to high society in Jack Daniels. <laughs> at which point you're gonna need another Methodist to pull you out of the gutter. Mothers in the ecumenical choir community would put out a spread for these children. We would come into the little Methodist fellowship hall. We would be all sweaty and rosy-cheeked after we had been turned loose from our parents. Our mothers would kick open the doors and send us away running, and we wouldn't see them again for three more hours. And inside these fellowship halls were long tables clad in, in tablecloths of red and white checkered gingham, and they would be loaded with plates of fresh-baked ginger snaps and snickerdoodles and chocolate chip and walnut cookies and oatmeal raisin and pound cakes of every kind and variety, cinnamon pound cake, chocolate pound cake, uh, uh, seven up pound cake, butter rum pound cake. There were all sorts of kinds of sweets that they don't really serve today to kids. See, things have changed a lot in our society. I come from an era before sugar had been outlawed by the US government. Our mothers would feed us pure, unrefined, white domino sugar and pour it down our gullet in the forms of brownies and cookies and cakes and pies. And when that didn't work, they would just place down our throats a funnel and they would chug sweet tea down our throats. <laughs> we drank and ate so much sugar that by the time you were 12 years old, if you hadn't already developed type 2 diabetes, were you even trying? Methodists were fun, but I don't think anybody was as quite as fun as the Episcopalians. The Episcopalians are, they are a different group of people, and I loved going to the Episcopalian churches where Miss Reuter taught choir practice. Everything they did was different. They had a big horseshoe, 15 horsepower organ up front <laughs> with pipes that were stringing up to the sky. They had ornate balconies carved out of exotic woods and gilded gilded ceilings and all sorts of candles and, and, and various accoutrements everywhere. It was beautiful. Episcopalians. And as we would all gather together and we would, we would sing the Christmas carols like it came up on a midnight clear or silent night or O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, wie grüßen deine Blatter. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We would listen to Miss Reuter sing our parts and we would try to duplicate what she was singing. We had the, the children all arranged according to height so that the taller kids were in back. And that's where Cousin Ed Lee and I were. We were one row behind Judy Sparks. And Ed Lee would be looking at his, at his little hymnal, his book and he would be telling jokes he was always doing this sort of thing 
And when Cousin Ed Lee finished his joke, we were all red-faced with laughter. We were just dying. Our faces looked like little bing cherries. And Miss Reuter stopped the choir practice. She told Miss Watermaker at the organ to stop playing, and she walked back to the back row, and she looked at Ed Lee. She said, what did you say? Cousin Ed Lee said, I, I, I didn't do nothing. She said, you were telling a joke, weren't you? He said, no, 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 no ma'am, I, I wasn't. I was, I was just, just talking. She took her forefinger and her thumb and she pinched Ed Lee's earlobe and drug him all the way back to the back of the sanctuary until his earlobe stretched out at least six feet. <laughs> she set him in the back alone and she looked at him and she said, do you know what I'm going to do with you? I'm taking you out of the choir. All you do is cause trouble and make people giggle and they can't pay attention. You're not in the choir anymore. And Ed Lee's lip began to downturn. She said, I'm casting you in the nativity. Well, the nativity was a big, a big, big downgrade from being in the choir. See, the church, the ecumenical choirs, they, they always had an, a living nativity that was put on at the same time the kids were singing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and lighting their candles with each other. That was the time when the nativity walked into the room, and there were kids dressed up like wise men and shepherds and all variety of animals and farm livestock. Miss Rivers looked at him and said, I'm casting you as the horse, but I already have a cast member who has agreed to play the horse's head, and it's a two-person costume. <laughs> Cousin Italy looked at her and said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I won't do it again. Please don't make me be the horse's butt. <laughs> she looked at that little boy. And even that hard-hearted woman began to take pity on Cousin Ed Lee. She said, okay, I won't make you the horse's fundaments. I'll give you the recitation. He said, thank, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. What's that? <laughs> well, the recitation was the part where as the livestock in the living nativity was entering the room and the children behind in the choir were using their single candles to light each other's candles one by one as the choir loft turned into all sorts of candle lights for the candlelit service as the children sang O Little Town of Bethlehem. There was always one member of the ecumenical choir who stood out and recited a passage from Luke. And there were shepherds guarding their sheep by night and an angel of the Lord appeared about them and they were so afraid. This was gonna be Edley's part. Edley accepted his fate. And after that, at every ecumenical choir practice, he sat in the very back pew and he would rehearse his lines silently to himself, away from the other children, as we would learn how to sing. And he practiced real hard. Now, Cousin Ed Lee is not known for his skills in oration, unless it has something to do with a joke involving a farmer's daughter. <laughs> Cousin Ed Lee was not the kind of person who you would want to deliver a recitation, and so he knew he had an uphill battle to climb, but he had fuel to motivate him to practice because Judy Sparks was standing out after ecumenical choir practice one day as all the kids were filing out, and she was standing there with her choir book against her chest, and Cousin Ed Lee and I stood next to her and we waited for our mothers to arrive, and Cousin Ed Lee decided to try a few snazzy pickup lines on her. He said, excuse me, do you believe in love at first sight or do I need to walk by you again? <laughs> Judy really didn't say anything to that. She just looked at her shoes. And then her mother arrived. Judy walked down the steps. She didn't say a word. She crawled into this Mercedes Benz and the, the, the car drove away and we watched the taillights wink out into the darkness. And Ed Lee looked at me and he said, well, I think that went pretty well, don't you? And then my mother arrived to pick us up. My mother arrived in a Buick that was about the size of a Waffle House. It was covered in rusted fenders and mud on the tires. And we crawled inside, and the entire ride home, Ed Lee was reciting his lines. He was just speaking to himself and just trying to get it right. And then... A few days later, before the ecumenical choir 
performance. Ed Lee asked if I would go with him to the salon. Now, we had never been to the salon because this is a place where the women went. But this was the only place in town, he said, that could give him the kind of haircut he was looking for. If you went to your daddy's barber, you'd walk out of the place looking like a very young Navy SEAL. (laughs) But if you went to the salon, well, now these were women with style. These were women with class. He got in there to Miss Kent's salon. He sat in that chair, and I sat in the waiting room. And she said, well, what are you thinking, Edley? He said, I'm thinking of something that looks a whole lot like Elvis Presley. She said, oh, well, you're talking about a a DA haircut. He said, a what? She said, a duck's butt. (laughs) She said, it's a duck tail. It's nothing. I have to snip, snip here, snip, snip here. I'll keep these sideburns a little bit shaggy. And then it's going to take a lot of product. Cousin Edley said, what's product? She said, well, hairspray. It's going to take a lot of hairspray to hold your hair into place because your hair has a different texture to it. It's okay. We can do it. We can do it, honey. And she wrapped that pink cape around him, and she snip, 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 snip. And when his haircut was done, he came out of that chair, and his hair looked roughly the same height as the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) He put his money on the counter, and before we left, Miss Kent came to us, and she said, I, I want to give you these. And she placed two canisters of Aquanet hairspray on the counter. She said, you're going to need half of one of these canisters every single time you fix your hair. Cousin Ed Lee and I left that place. People on the street were just stopping to stare at this hair. And I placed my hand upon it just to see it, and it, it made a, a, a little clipping sound like a tick, tick, tick. I said, Cousin Ed Lee, your hair. He said, what about it? I said, it's got so much hairspray on it, it could deflect small caliber ammunition. (laughs) He said, I know, isn't it cool? (laughs) The night of the big performance was exciting indeed. It was held at the Episcopal Church. Me and Ed Lee were in that room, and we were eating, and the lady came in, and Miss Reuters was behind her, and, and the lady who was in control of the entire communicable choir said, it's time to get your robes on. It's time to get dressed. And all the children finished up their their cookies and shoved a few more ginger snaps in their mouths. And they all scurried off to the girls' bathroom and the boys' bathroom. And we got into that bathroom. And Cousin Ed Lee withdrew from his backpack a big canister of Aquanet hairspray. (laughs) And I helped him hold his hair in place while he emptied at least the entire canister on his hair. And then I got his choir robe and I helped him shimmy his head through the neck hole. We got it onto his body and I buttoned it in the back and then he removed the hairspray cap and he started applying more hairspray. And soon his head was engulfed in a cumulus of hairspray that was falling all over his facial features and his chin and his mouth and his choir collar, the robe had a collar that was enormous and it was covered in hairspray so that if you would have removed his choir robe, the thing would have stood up on its own. (laughs) Cousin Ed Lee and I walked out with the rest of the children who all looked so lovely in their, their gowns. We were so adorable. And we all gathered on that stage together, the altar of God, and the organ began to play and the children began to sing. And all of the proud parents from every denomination were sitting in that mass, expansive church. And they were looking at their children and they were smiling. Some were mouthing the words for their children and some were, some were pressing their index fingers into the imaginary dimples on their own cheeks to remind their children to, to grin, show some teeth, look alive, be cheerful. And then it came to that part in the program where the children began to light candles one at a time and the living nativity came down the center aisle there were the sheep there were the goats there was the poor unfortunate two actors doomed to play the horse and the horses behind (laughs) they walked into the chapel and they all knelt before the holy infant and cousin Ed Lee made his way out of the choir loft to center stage and prepared for the song to be sung. And as the candles were being lit one by one behind him, 
Miss Reuters looked at Cousin Ed Lee and she gave him the nod. And Ed Lee, in a voice that was pure and true, with his eyes closed, said, And an angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And the glory of the Lord shone all about them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is Messiah, which is Christ the Lord. And there shall be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And at this exact moment of beauty, Judy Sparks came wandering out of the choir loft with her candle. It was her job to light Ed Lee's candle. She neared Ed Lee, whose body was emitting nuclear hairspray fumes, which are extremely flammable. His hair was standing up like the Lincoln Memorial. And as she got near to him, she leaned her candle forward and tried to light his candle. And in one paralyzing second, his choir collar went Cousin Ed Lee began to scream and his band ran around and his hair was on fire and his shirt collar was on fire. And there was a strong light in Bethlehem that night. <laughs> well, that was the very last time my cousin Ed Lee and I ever participated in the ecumenical choir. That's our show for you. That's our show. It's been a pleasure coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and radio waves all over this fine nation. To find out anything more about what we do, you can visit shawnofthesouthshow.com. And there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode. And we're there. Hope you take the time to drop us a line. This episode brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family, and by Folklore Brewing and Meadery, the best beer in Dothan, Alabama. And by Tennessee Peanuts, visit tennesseepeanut.com. Our special guest tonight was Chosen Road. Visit Chosen Road Music. Com. There you can download all their music and check out what this incredible band is doing. I want to give a hearty thanks to all the people who make this show possible. Kim Scott, John Rainey, Sylvia Sintamore, Aaron Peters, Alan Wright, Fabrika Hotchini, and anybody else who's tuned in to this podcast at one time or another. We really appreciate you, and I hope above all that you have a Merry Christmas. And more than that, I hope that you have a Merry Life. Adios. I can see the pine trees now Swaying here and there They seem to know it's Christmas time They're sure everywhere Ice falls on the branches The water cool and clear Snowflakes falling Christmas time is near Snowflakes falling